I want to come with you to Alder. There's nothing for me here now. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 170, and today we're going to be talking about Star Wars, A New Hope. This great and fantastic film stars Harrison Ford, Alec Guinness, Peter Cushing, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Slover. Thank you, Steve. The Man Cave Movie Review. You will never find a more wretched podcast of scum and villainy. Well done. I was going to say, I'm wondering who's going to come up with that one, and I'm guessing probably all three of you did, so... <laughs> <laughs> I just got there first. Yeah, you got there first, so... All right, and also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. I got a bad feeling about this. Roni. Uh, just to set up my Star Wars bona fides, uh, this movie opened the Wednesday before Memorial Day, 1977. It was unheralded. Nobody really knew what anything about it. Now, what I can tell you I was doing around 6 o'clock on the Thursday before Memorial Day, 1977, was piling into my... Coco Brown AMC Gremlin with my brother and driving up to the Eastwood Theater to see this movie thing like what the hell we saw the trailer back at New Year's when the Enforcer came out we'll see it it might be worth something and we pulled in a lot and there was a line snaking out the lot and it turns out the theater would see 2000 and we were number 1997 and 1998. <laughs> they shut the line off right behind us. Wow. And then I proceeded to see this movie seven times that summer. So I was there at the beginning. I kind of liked it. So let's talk about it. We will. And folks, he's back from his uh, <clears throat> leave of absence. We'll just leave it at that. Our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Muncie. <laughs> hey, thanks, Steve. I'm just really glad you didn't refer to me as Porkins tonight. <laughs> nope. We're going to talk about him later. We have to bring yes. that up because we. <laughs> you know, piece of trivia about Porkins. He didn't wear shoes in his X-wing, just like Jeff. You know, because he had hairy feet and they sweated a lot. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Hey Jeff, um, I, I I wasn't sure which one I should use, and since because I had another one, oh let's hear it. I had another oh, one on. for Jeff because uh, I was also going to introduce him as uh, our other good and dear friend Jeff. Too short for a stormtrooper. Muncie. <laughs> you know, thanks, Steve. You stole my outro. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, at times I've often thought about being part of the you know the five hundred and first. And and I thought, what would I be? And I thought, gosh, I'd love to be a stormtrooper. But I thought I would just invite that comment everywhere I went. 
if I dressed up as a stormtrooper. Well, to be honest with you, you could probably pull it off because they don't make those things, um, I, I think like even for people my size, because I even asked a dude, uh, when a couple of years ago at Gen Con, cause he had the really cool one where, you know, when they talked it, that, you know, he had the click and, you know, oh, the voice. Those helmets oh. are nearly $500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember talking to him and I'm like, you know, what size is that? And he goes extra large. And I'm kind of looking like right <laughs> at the top of his head and I'm thinking, shit, are you kidding? <laughs> And he, he, he kind of told me, he goes, well, you make a good Vader. I went, all right, I'm out of here. I'm so, out. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. That or a Wookiee. Yeah, because, <laughs> well, see, and the thing, well, the thing is, is that I'm, I mean, I'm six one. I'm not that big. No, uh, yeah. But it, the thing That's what was. She said. Yeah. And. Mm. <laughs> Welcome back to and, the show, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Anyway, uh, but no, it's just stuff that I've read about, and they say like extra large. It's you know they'll say yeah, I'm you know I'm like you know six foot and 180, and it fits me fine. I'm thinking, well, I'm screwed. I'm not going to fit into that. So I kind of gave up on the whole idea. And plus, where am I going to wear it? Halloween and Gen Con. So anyway, <clears throat> so that's that's the story there. But um, anyway, folks, we're going to be talking about Star Wars, and after um, over three years of doing this show, we have decided to do it. And I think, uh, why? Because the, the force awakens the, the whole new Ken Kabuto of this thing comes out. What? In about a couple of weeks, two weeks, two, two weeks, weeks from two tonight. Week. Okay. Two weeks from tonight. So we are bringing this one cause we wanted to talk about it because this is where it all started. This is where it all began. And, um, we're the generation that uh, went to see it when it first came out. And, and Jeff and I had a pretty interesting pre-show conversation about this earlier in the week. And, uh, we'll get into it because I think it, it has a lot of impact on uh, what this movie means, I think, really to our generation as opposed to, like, my daughters or even, you know, uh, even like the previous one from her. But like Ken said, he, you know, he went and saw it when it first came out. I think I saw it, the, f- I think maybe about a week after it came out. And I, I didn't get to see it as much as Ken in that first summer, but I think I was pretty close. And that was mainly because I was, like, 10 and had to have people drive me there. Um, so it was, it was rough, uh, to, to not be able to see it as much as I wanted to. But, uh, you know, opening shots, guys, you know, Mark, you're, what do you think? Um, like Ken, I was a teenager when this came out. I had just actually moved to Indianapolis. My father got transferred and I begged him to take me. And he was like, all right, fine, we'll go. And we went out to the Eastwood Theater because they had the huge 70-millimeter screen. That was before IMAX, right, Ken? Well, I've got to throw it out. It was at the Eastwood because the Eastwood was an independent theater. Yep. It was not a chain. Yep. And no chain, nobody thought this movie was going to do anything. So the Eastwood was the only movie that had a contract yep. to carry this. Yep. And, and then it, it was- turned into a massive hit. And that movie, that theater just made bank off Star Wars. And the advantage was it, it had a big, big screen. It was a big screen, yes. Yeah. 70 millimeter, huge monster screen. And I, yeah, I, I, I was like Ken. I think I saw it eight times that summer, but I took, I pestered my dad. And, you know, it was, for me, it was really kind of special because my dad was like, all right, fine. I'll take the boy to see the movie. And, you know, now I've got a son who I sat down with when he was like eight to watch the trilogy, the original. But my dad sat there with me, and he enjoyed it probably as much, if not more, in some respects than I did. Because when he was growing up during the Depression, he saw Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. 
So, and we can talk about that later because, you know, Lucas drew from a lot of different sources. But it, it, he had a big smile on his face, too, because it reminded him of the old serials, the cliffhangers. And, and that's what this movie is. It's a boy's own adventure. And uh, I was, you know, we've all played Traveler. We're all huge science fiction fans. I had read Moat in God's Eye. I had read Dune before. I So I was uh, Starship Troopers. I was deeply steeped in loving science fiction and hard sci-fi. And then this came out, you know, and, and, and we'll talk about it. But I sat there from the opening scene when you saw this cool ship go over and then this ship go over this what you came to know is this imperial star destroyer that just kept going over your head and at that point i was i was sold it could have been crap from the rest from jump street but that opening sequence was kind of a seminal event it and this whole movie i just you know i, I still think back and that's just one of those moments personally and i'm sure we all have those there are some movies that impact your life and this truly is this was truly one of those um markers in my life where i can go back and i can still vividly remember my experience seeing this movie for the first time um it, it was just astounding you know and and just jeff mark and i didn't talk we didn't have any of that conversation but he almost mirrored exactly what we were saying mm-hmm. about the the Excuse me about the impact that this movie had. I mean, I mean, did, remember like what we were talking about? What did you think? Well, you know, you guys are considerably older than I am. And so I was, you know, I'm going to say you guys were probably more of a target audience than I was. Um, even though it clearly was, was meant for kids too. Cause I was seven when this movie came out and like you guys, I still vividly remember going and seeing this. I went down to the uh, Southside Theater, the Keystone Theater, uh, oh, which, yeah. which is where we went and uh, met Bruce Campbell and got yeah. um, his autograph. So I was in that theater um, watching um, watching the movie. And, you know, of course, my dad took me, and I had no idea. You know, being seven, you know, your dad's like, hey, let's go see a movie. It was just me and my dad. My sister didn't go. My mom didn't go. It was just me and my dad. And, um, and, and you know, Mark, you said it when, you know, at seven years old, when you're sitting there and you're just like, you know, I remember saying, Dad, you know, what does this say? And, you know, he's reading me the, the script. And I'm like, okay. And uh, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, you see the planet come into view. And then, like you said, um, the intro, the intro happens. Probably one of the best intros of a movie yep. um, where it captured um you know, your imagination and just your, you know, it made you in awe of what the, what, what could be, I guess, you know, we clearly, we don't see anything like this. There's nothing around. And until this movie, which is what Steve and I were talking about earlier this week, this just exploded on the, to the scene. This, we, we had never seen anything like this, not, not the images and especially um, the production quality of this movie. And when, when you, when I go back time and time again and watch this movie, I'm just amazed at, it wasn't exactly a, well, I guess it was a slight technological leap that was made with this film, but movies would never be the same again. 
Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to be. And we saw what could be. And and the vision that George Lucas had is is um, is something that has, like you guys said, left an impression on not just us, but really our society and culture. And and that is profound. Um, but you know, as a seven year old, clearly these left marks on me, um, really for the rest of my life. That uh, film wise and um, and story wise, you know, just it's it is a it's a it's a great story to to watch. You know, it's it's good versus evil, and um, and 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 we'll we'll get into a lot of that. What about you, Steve? Well, it's kind of I I just have to echo pretty much what you guys were saying because you know for me I was I was ten years old I saw this uh, when I was living up in in the region, uh, so I. I didn't see it anywhere down here like you guys did, but I think what got me, and it's kind of like you said, it's, you know, when you see that opening scene, that, that it is literally the most iconic opening scene of a movie that you're ever, that it just sticks with you. Because I think up until that point, and what Jeff and I were talking about earlier is that we saw, we saw a movie that, up until that point, you, nobody's ever seen anything like this. And I'm, and I'm speaking strictly from a uh, standpoint of special effects, particularly the, the space um, uh, scenes. You know, we're the generation that, <clears throat> that pretty much kind of came up watching, uh, well, maybe not all of us, but most of us were watching the syndicated Star Trek movies. As far as sci-fi, you know, when you saw the space scenes, that, that was the extent of it. I mean, it was pretty... Pretty hokey. I mean, you could almost see the string holding the Enterprise up. That, that's how bad they were. So, but I mean, you enjoyed it for what it was. So, but that, and, and up until Star Wars, that was pretty much the extent of science fiction type movies. Um, and, and there really wasn't a lot of science fiction movies, um, other than the stuff that you saw like from the 50s and 60s, and they really weren't even space related. I mean, you know, it was mostly aliens coming here type of thing. So when this came out, you know, it was like the equivalent, and like I told Jeff, it was the equivalent of going watching stage plays to immediately seeing CGI. It, it was just, oh my God, this is unbelievable. This, this is just the most breathtaking thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and the thing of it is, is that, um, and to me, I think it was like an experience that I think we can always appreciate at our age because of the stuff that we grew up on. This was groundbreaking. You know, even, you know, like kids who see it today, like, for example, Mark, your son, it's like he could watch this and it's like, yeah, that, that's that's cool. But, I mean, I've seen this before, not this right. movie, but that level of special effects. And it's just not you. Ex- and that's the thing. You expect that level today, whereas yeah. we walked in there going, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Well, and the other thing that I want to echo on that is, too. This set the tone for a completely different look and feel for starships. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we had had the clean, elegant lines of the Enterprise, you know, or, or that type of look or the saucers. You saw, and, and I think that was, I, I think we could all agree, that was the other thing. All these ships looked functional. Yes. And everything had this aesthetic design that was completely 180 degrees away from everything we were comfortable with or had grown up with, you know, and that has carried forward to even our favorite TV show, Babylon 5. Right. 
you went, wow, it it makes sense. Yeah. The X-Wings, the TIE Fighters, everything makes sense, and everything fit with the protagonists and the antagonists. They had their ships. They had their styles. They had their looks. They had their feels. Yeah, it was it, – it, it, and that was the other thing that I think we have to give Lucas and the production designers a lot of credit for is they created a – they truly did create – for lack of a better term, a universe. Right. You you bought into it from from that opening credit, from the look of the ships to the uniforms to the effects, everything about it. You went, I'm somewhere else. Well, and I'll tell you what. Speaking of ships, there is no cooler ship ever, and probably never will be than an Imperial Star Destroyer. I mean, it is the most badass looking ship I think ever designed. It just looks awesome. That big wedge shape with the radar array on top. I just, I don't know. Every time I see one of those, I get the tingles. I just think they look fantastic. I mean, you're, you're right. It's a very iconic looking ship. Um, personally, I do think these Superstar Destroyers um, are, are, are more impressive when you consider that Star Destroyers were designed to go within them, um, which was the, you know, as a a kid about, you know, six years older when I first saw that. Oh no, it was just three years old. So it was 10 years old. I mean, that, you know, it, it, again, you started that kind of one upmanship of, well, what are we going to do to make this better? Oh, right. well, we'll have a, a, a much larger ship <laughs> where that star destroyers can go in. And, but I mean, that was the great thing. It, it, they, they continued to keep your interest by, by introducing you to, to brand new technology that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I loved about the entire series, um, is you were always introduced to things, um, throughout the series. You know, I, you know, I know we'll eventually talk about Empire, but I mean, again, that, that, that same, I had the same effect with this Star Destroyer at the opening as I did when I saw the Walkers. I mean, it yeah. was a great shot of introducing us to, you know, giant four-legged walking tanks. And, you know, I mean, there, I don't want to go too far into that because we'll talk about that on another podcast. But, um, this, the, the, the vision that he had for the, again, the technology, the weapons, um, you know, the Death Star. I mean, these types of things, it it was it was fresh and it was something that we could easily wrap our minds around and it's something that I think deep down in all the boys in us we wanted to see these massive things these giant Goliaths that were going to go to battle with each other and it's it it is it's it's just great. If I can jump in and, and just talk a little bit about context, uh, I think Mark and Steve both referenced it, but. This thing was groundbreaking. It was, it blew everybody away, uh, and it just caught fire immediately. But you got to compare it to what else was out there. What were people used to? And I'm just going to throw out a few movie names to sort of put this into a context. In 1977, there was another sci-fi movie, big budget, high expectations, uh, you know, fairly good cast, uh, that, you know, was, you know, coming out right about the same time. And that movie was Damnation Alley. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, I saw what, it in the theater. That, I went and saw it. That's Damnation that, Alley was typical oh, of mid seventies yep. sci-fi. Oh my god, it was I, horrible. I was trying to think. I'm like, God, what, what, what was out there that was, you know, yeah, Jan yeah. Michael Vincent, George but, Papard. Yes. Oh my god. But to your, but to your point, but, Ken. It was all that post-apocalyptic stuff we'd been getting in the mid and early yes. 70s. Yeah. Yes, it was a downer message. You had the year before Logan's Run. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, you had Soylent Green in the early 70s. Yeah. Early, yes, Soylent Green, Planet of the Apes. Uh, sci-fi, What I mean, what passed as sci-fi, for the <laughs> most part, was this post, you know, post-apocalyptic angle of some right. thing or the other? Right. You also, I mean, you know, not like immediately before, but you know, not that long before. You had like 2001, which definitely had a big impact. Uh, it's all, again in terms of look and everything else, whole different feel. Uh, you know, not to interrupt you, Ken, but you know what? That's actually a good point. When you talk about 2001, some of those scenes, those. Those space, and I'm just talking the space scenes, the the very brief ones. That's actually done very well, as, uh, too. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's about the only other time you see something that's really good. Now, they're brief; you don't see it all the time. You know, this obviously completely different because you know half this movie's taking place in space. So, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, another movie uh, takes place in space a few years before this was Silent Running. Yes. Uh, again, I thought it was, yeah. for what it was, it was a solid movie. I, I uh, could not get into that one, but ugh. it's dark. Yeah. It's a dark. It, it's dark because it's, it's, it's not post apocalyptic, but it's certainly a downer movie. But the, the basic thing was most sci fi had evolved into this downer, you know, depressed, apocalyptic feel. And also, it was just cheesy looking for the most part. They didn't really put much thought into the, the, the props or the sets or anything of that sort. George Lucas definitely had a vision uh, and translated you know, it to the screen. Again, this thing, when it hit, I still remember Disco Star Wars. Oh, remember God. the... Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> Trying to forget it. I'm just saying that stuff. When Star Wars hit, it became a phenomenon. They had like it. It was on the radio. It, people couldn't get enough of it. And then when it was over, by the end of 1977, you had like a whole generation of young people just going like, "They say they're going to make another one. It's going to come out in two or three years. I can't wait. I can't wait." And you're just like. Waiting on pins and needles for the next one to come out. It was truly something. Now, I'm going to just drop my beef about it. I can still remember that summer after this came out, and George Lucas getting interviewed and him going like, well, this is part of this whole vision I've had, this massive story arc. I've got it all. It's all planned out. It's all sketched out. I just need to make it. I've been thinking about this for years and years, and I'm ready to do it. And I just, heard, I just heard the round bell for round one. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes down to he was blowing smoke up something when he said that. Yeah. Based on subsequent activity. 
but I'll shut up and let you guys talk for a while. I've been hogging it. You know, one thing that you brought up, um, and well, actually you, you brought up, you brought it up, you know, mentioning the movies, Mark, you mentioned it is that, you know, these are all downer movies, you know, the, the sci-fi ones that we saw, you know, Logan's run, they're all this dystopian future. It's like, Oh, good Lord. This is what we got to look forward to. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, on top of the special effects and everything else is that I think this was so successful is because it was, you know, your typical white hats versus black hats and, you know, and it's good guys versus bad guys and the good guys win and it's got this upbeat, happy type ending that you just didn't get in those other movies. You know, Soil and Green, you find out it's people. Oh God. You know, I mean, that's cheerful, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, Logan's run. <laughs> when you turn 30, you die. Right. And it's well, the uh, ape. I, I, yeah. You can get you your can, hands off me. You, <laughs> you see, and, and that's another yeah. one. I mean, and, and that's a classic. I mean, it's a classic sci-fi in it. Uh, and, and probably in terms of just, you know, special effects in that. I mean, obviously, some of the best makeup work you could probably ever see, particularly for that period of time. But it is. That's the kind of stuff that was getting cranked out in terms of sci-fi. It was, boy, the future is really going to be dark and bleak, and it's going to get, and it's going to be ugly. And this movie really didn't have that. I mean, it. Well, I mean, you had the Empire and all that, but it was that. It, it was more of that space opera and in in the good guys versus the bad guys. It was a throw. It's a throwback to '30s cinema, right. but done through like Japanese cinema plots, and I mean, right. I, there's a lot of borrowing. But right. I'm going to give you guys a challenge here for a second, and that is, can you guys name a few of the sci-fi movies that got the green light and got made within like four or five years of Star Wars coming out? Well, Roger Corman's Battle Beyond the Stars yeah. is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, Ice Pirates. Crawl. Crawl. Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Black Hole. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Dis- Disney's effort. Oh, I forgot about the Black Hole. I, I uh, try to forget about it. <laughs> it. It was really bad. I mean, that movie yep. is... I saw that at the Eastwood Theater. Yeah, so did I. I saw it in the theater too, and it was funny. And I, I am ashamed to say, um, and I, I will admit it. Uh, last month, I'm like, I saw it on um, Amazon. I thought, oh, what the hell? You I, did I, not. I, I did. I'm like, you know what? I, I have not, literally <laughs> have not seen that movie since I was like a little kid. And I remember as a kid going, eh, I don't, I don't remember. I, and I'm just trying, like, whatever. I'm just going to watch it again. Yeah, there's there's three bucks I'm never getting back, but you know. <laughs> yeah, Man. but it when it came out, it was like, oh my god, Disney's doing a sci-fi movie set in space. Oh my, oh my heavens! Yeah, and I think it was because their first, every, it was, Star Wars had people prime yeah. for this. Well, and we've talked about this before, guys. We've said it before on this show. Lucas basically when he when he came out with this and it did good, it basically gave the green light to let's make a sci-fi movie. And, and I think what's really important to keep in mind is look at the movies that were coming out, uh, you know, trailing this, trying to be on, you know, trying to be on their coattails. And they were horrific. Um, I mean, like I said, the black hole, I mean, that was a pretty big budget production. Uh, and it was Disney's, I think it was like the first PG movie. I don't think that was a rated G movie. No, it was PG. It was PG. And I think it was their very first one. And it was, you know, um, 
I don't think it was a colossal failure. I think it did. I think it did okay. They did a little merchandising on it. I remember, but you know, and oh, and the other one that uh, came out again, it was the TV series was uh, Battlestar Galactica. Was trying oh, to yeah. was was yeah. following on all because basically, Lucas when he when this succeeded, it basically told everybody you can make money on this. These can be successful, and. You know, really outside of the Star Trek franchise, I mean, most of those other ones were just horrific flops. No, I can still remember when Battlestar Galactica came out. Yeah. It was on Newsweek and Time yep. and on TV. And everybody, again, people thought and they wanted more of this. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars lit a fire and people just wanted more. And they thought that was going to be it. And when you just looked at the, like, stills and things like that, and the very opening, you know, episode, you're like, this is going to be just like Star Wars. It's going to be awesome. And then Battlestar, the Battlestar, I mean, I I still say they they fell victim to the fact that, you know, they spent, you know, 90% of their budget on actors and sets and everything else and then put a little bit of money into scripts because the stories just sucked. Right. But it looked awesome for the day sure. for a TV series back then. Oh, it's well, so it's head and shoulders above like Star Trek visually. Yeah. Well, well but yeah, let's, Buck let's back too. up a second. Yeah, Buck let's Rogers. back up just a second. And so you were saying, look, the visuals were outstanding, but the story was terrible. That was very true of Star Wars itself. Yes, but what you got to remember is it was like we talked about before. It was the first of its kind in terms of it, it capped everybody by what you saw. I mean, in terms of the, the special effects, in terms of the costumes. I mean, I think that was it. No one's seen anything like that afterwards. Right. Well, I, it's, or it's up your... until that point. And I think that's what carried it. it. It's, and then it was everybody else trying to be on the coattails. And it's like, well, None of this stuff looks nearly as good as Star Wars, and the dialogue sucks, and the plots suck, and the stories suck. I think that's. I think that was it. Well, they, I, I agree. Yeah. It seemed like it opened the door that people said, "Gosh, if we make it look and sound really good, that will overshadow the poor, shitty writing that comes along with it." Nobody will pay attention to that. They'll just want to go along for the visual eye candy, and and will. You know, and we'll, and we'll be fine with it. Sort of like the Pied Pipers coming along and getting me out of town. Well, you know, that worked for Star Wars, but clearly that didn't work for anything else because there was some magic behind Star Wars. And you and I talked a little, Steve, about there was the perfect combination of just visual stimulation along with auditory stimulation. That allowed you to almost be entranced by the movie that at times and, and <laughs> I, so a couple weeks ago when I was first sick, all I wanted to do was watch TV, internet, TV, totally out, had to have AT&T come out. So what I did do, I put Star Wars in because I just wanted to watch it. And I was, I was for the first time, I really paid attention to some of the dialogue and I just didn't realize how bad some of it really, really was until I really paid attention to it. And 
the, the, the part that I'm really referring to is the attack sequence on the Death Star. When you start listening to kind of what they're doing, the conversations that are going on, and the, you know, and, and, and advice people are giving, you're like, wow, this is really bad. This is just really bad. Um, but the visuals and the, and the music and the sounds and the lights that totally obscured it really for decades for me because I was just, I was just going along for the ride and enjoying what I was seeing. Still love it. Still enjoy it. And you know, Jeff, there's another thing that I think kind of gets missed and you're right. All those issues and there's a script and there's acting, um, that we can all talk about, but you know, the other thing that this movie had that was very unusual, especially for science fiction, is there's a spiritual element to it wrapped around the Force. Mm-hmm. It got people going, what's the Force? Because before we get to the the, <laughs> the one, two, and three and all that nonsense, you know, it, it, it had this, you, you, you had, you know, you had the, the Joseph Campbell-esque, spiritual element you had obi-wan you had well what's the force you you had this whole you you must you have to serve something bigger than yourself element that you never saw in these types of movies they were either adventures or apocalyptic movies or you know a boy and his dog which came out later with don johnson which is actually not a bad movie and it's twisted but it's not bad <clears throat> yeah, but, and, but you, you know, and you and you turn your nose up to Zardoz, and you said oh, that movie's not that admit, bad. The ending of a boy and his dog oh, is excellent. It's epic. You never saw that one coming, did you? You went no, oh. nope, didn't. But, but that's okay. But but back to my point. There was that it was unusual. All of a sudden, you meet this guy named Obi Wan, and he talks about this thing called the Force, and it it takes the movie, it, it elevates the movie in another way. And and that's and look, we we've all know that hell. There's some people who claim they are they follow a religion known as the Force. I mean, it has spawned all sorts of things that hitherto, except maybe with Star Trek to some degree, had never been a cultural impact the way this movie has become. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, this you know, uh, uh, other than Star Trek, uh, I mean, this has got a following. Um, like no other movie. I mean that I and can it, think of. I mean this and, is well, and and to a point, I think Star Wars really kind of doomed Star Trek in a sense because that could not compete, especially for new and younger viewers that had never seen Star Trek before. I don't to know. Go, I don't what? know. I I don't know if I agree with that. I, it's, I t- I'll tell you, guys, I agree with it because I. That was the one of the main reasons I could never get into Star Trek because when I looked at it, I was like, "Well, this is just cheap. Why do I want to watch this when I can have Star Wars?" Because I have, I have giant ships running around and lasers and all of this, and 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 we sort of have, we sort of don't have a lot of that in Star Trek. I really. I, I understand, but I mean, I still think that there is, and again, I don't, I'm not going to get it. That's a whole that that could be a podcast in and of itself. It but could. I I now, don't I don't think. I mean, you go to, you know, you go to Gen Con, you still see your fair share of Star Trek folk over there, and there, and there's some youngins. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I think Star Trek's one of those things, and, and Star Wars is, it's like Elvis. 
I mean, it could be a hundred years from now, and you're still going to have people that are going to be like, you know, doing the Elvis thing. I well, mean, I think I think it's like the Union and the Confederacy. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're either one or you. I mean, yeah, you can either you can cross over, but there's pretty hard lines drawn. Yeah. I don't know what Gen Con you've been to, but next year you're going to have to point out anybody younger than 30 that is doing anything that has to do with Star Trek. Okay, well, you know what? That's I'm not, not a paid model. Oh, here we go. Yeah, See, uh, he's already my qualifier. He's starting my qualifier. Somebody that isn't paid to be off on the side looking like a Star Trek character. Because yeah. no, nobody's, nobody's dressed up as Star Trek. Nobody. Okay. Nobody's putting on a red or blue or green shirt and standing out there with a phaser. They're nobody's uh, doing that. Au contraire, I will find the picture of me standing next to um, Yeoman Rand. Oh, okay. Please do. I will. Please do. I saw the show picture. Me, See? Show me the one person out of 65,000 that oh, did anything go. with Star Trek. That's fine. Okay. That's okay. I, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. the, the thing at Gen Con and Star Trek is there's always one woman, one young woman, knows that she can rock the original series miniskirt and boot look and does it. Well, and I will go one better or one worse, depending upon your <laughs> point of view. <laughs> Jeff, you yes. cannot argue with me that if you weigh in at 250 pounds plus, there's room for you in the Klingon Empire because they all eat really well if you go to Gen Con. Oh, am I wrong? Sir, you're right, sir. I stand. I stand correct. Because right. Because after that, when you go to Star Wars, you're either going to be a Wookiee or a Bantha. Oh right. God. Yeah, but there is a lot of Star Wars cosplay and everything. Yeah. Visual, and again, it's it's time. I mean, I'm not. I can't timeless. I mean, it's only what thirty years. Yeah. But it just keeps going and going. Right. Well, the now having said is- that, we're now dealing, and I know we'll touch on it. The the Incoherency that has a, that has evolved over the years from movies and books and everything else, and we'll see what happens with this new Star Wars movie coming out. Right. When we step back and we're just talking about this show, the original show, it was a blank slate. Nobody knew anything. You just knew those credits rolled, and bam, you're in this universe far, far away, and. You didn't, I mean, you didn't worry about it, but you're right, Jeff. If you listen to it now, the writing, man, is the writing awesome? No. I mean, Luke, and that's, a, again, we, we can talk about George Lucas and dog him all day long. The guy knows how to do some good writing. Again, I loved American Graffiti. And I never noticed it really in these Star Wars movies, but then when you get to the prequels, it's like, oh, my God, this is painful. And it just doesn't, the longer, the more they try to patch over the loose ends and everything else, the worse it gets. Well, let's put it this way. It, I mean, I have to agree. When you actually sit down and really listen to this, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, full disclosure, guys, and I mentioned this to Jeff when I was talking, it's probably been, um, well, I, I, I've got the DVDs and I bought them, I forgot when. I think it's been at least 10 to 12 years since I've seen it. Um, it's been that long, honestly. And it wasn't really until I was sitting here watching it for the show. I'm, I, I was like, wow. Yeah, this is some, this is some pretty horrible writing. And, and kind of like, I don't know, Jeff, did you bring it up and what we talked about? You know, they were trying to mimic the, uh, 
during the battle of the Death Star, you know, like the, the, the chatter that goes on during dog fights and, and the comment, eject, eject, eject where? <laughs> You're over the Death Star. What are you going to eject to? <laughs> I mean that. I mean, there's just there's, there's just lines in this movie yeah. that you know you you're so used to them in present day tense, right? That you're like, of course, you know, if you're in a plane, you know, and there's, you know, you're a dogfight, of course, you might eject and parachute out. But what the hell are you going to go in space? Okay, well, that's. That, yeah. there, I mean, there's but there's a lot of those. There's a lot of those situations throughout the movie where it's like what. What the hell? What kind of? What, why? Why? Why are you doing this? Um, why? I, well, it's an homage to forties and fifties aerial warfare movies. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's 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 no practical application for it. What, another. Th- I mean, Steve, do you want to do? Do we want to do the typical intro slash get into actors and start doing that now, or do you just yeah? Wanna, let, let's go ahead and do that. But you know, just just real quick on the whole dialogue thing. There's I I grabbed there's there's 315 pieces of trivia on this. And I spent about five minutes getting the best parts. And, I, and I'm not going to do it now. We'll do it a little bit later. But there is one part, uh, and it is uh, relevant to the discussion we we're just having. And it says, uh, Harrison Ford found the dialogue to be very difficult, later saying, you can type this shit, but you can't say it. <laughs> so that, you know. <laughs> but again, and again, I think it goes back to the fact that you could have, you know, crappy dialogue and crappy writing but it just got overshadowed by all the the great special effects and all the action so i think that was you well, know again that was the saving grace of it but and the other thing that was a saving grace was the locations right i mean you know i i posted on our facebook page that iconic scene of luke looking at the binary system and the music swept all of that with that grandeur of the imagery, and then you would go to to the special effects and the space battles, you you lost you you didn't notice the clunkiness because you were so swept up in every all all of it that was coming at you, the music, the visual effects, the special effects, everything about it was so transformative that you overlooked all of that you overlooked the. A twelve parsecs for the Kessel Run kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, because that was the other thing. Parsec that has nothing to do with speed, dude. In our universe, in our universe. <laughs> yeah, in our universe. Well, you can't use the word uh, "not me, sister." I mean, you can't sit there and talk like it's the nineteen fifties <laughs> and then think, "Well, parsec." That's that's a. I mean, yeah, it's stuff like that. I even knew as a kid. I'm like, wait a minute, parsec. That's a, yeah, that's a yeah. that's a measure of distance. It has nothing to do with speed, but whatever. But you know what? Enough of that, because uh, otherwise we're going to go off on our uh, Lucas. You, you ignorant! No, no, just <laughs> no. That's the continuity round two. Yeah, that's the continuity issues between the first three. Wait, wait a minute. Obi Wan didn't. I've never owned an R two unit. Really, <laughs> you must have taken a blow to the head between the first three and the last three. Well, no, now yeah. basically, Jedi lie through their teeth. Yeah, for no, no reasons. That's no, what the. They, they took him to Anchorhead and had his memory erased. Oh, thank you, Jeff. I have that's, always struggled. That's what happened. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, why don't you go down to Tashi Station and get my power converters? <laughs> <laughs> but I want to go to Tashi Station and get some power converters. Shut like, little bitch. It's like, 
<laughs> you know, Luke, 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 you left your balls on the bed. <laughs> Drink your blue milk, Luke, before you go out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. We got, we got, <laughs> get on track. Get on track. Has anybody, has anybody seen my McDonald's trash can? Because I swear to God, it was walking off a few minutes ago. Oh, wait. All right, let's All right. let's 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 do the right. intro. Let's we start talking about actors. We had to have yeah. some fun. Okay. All right. Well, All right. obviously, one of the thing about this is that um, I, I will just say when I first saw this movie, the only person in this thing that I actually recognized, um, and it was later in the show, was was uh, Peter Cushing, because uh, I mean I grew up watching all the old Hammer stuff. And you didn't he, recognize Alec Guinness? I don't ever remember seeing Alec Guinness in anything when I was a kid. Right. Uh, sure. I don't think, hell, I didn't see Bridge on the River Kwai until I was probably in my 20s. But no, I mean, they're just, I didn't really see Alec Guinness in much. Right. Uh, and then when anything. you saw Bridge on the River Kwai, what you said was, hey, look, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> As a matter of right? fact, I didn't even freaking recognize him. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, because it's one of those where I'm watching it because I, honestly, I can't, I'm sure I've seen Alec Guinness and other stuff, but, um, I mean, this was probably uh, more than likely the first thing I ever saw him in. And, uh, yeah, when I saw Bridge on the River Quiet, it's like, well, I don't, you know, he, he's not wearing a robe and has white hair and a beard. But you got to admit, when you saw him on Bridge on the River Quiet, you were impressed with his Jedi abilities to destroy a bridge. Absolutely. Without a doubt. But, you know, that, he was the only one, but... Most of these actors, well, I'm pretty sure all of them at that point, nobody really knew. I mean, Mark Hamill was doing some stuff, but um, Harrison Ford did a little bit. Hadn't he, didn't he appear as the drag racer in American Graffiti, but yes. he had no line? Right. Mark Hamill? No. No, no, no. no. I'm talking Harrison about Harrison Ford. Ford. Harrison Ford. No, Harrison Ford had lines in American yeah. Graffiti. Did he? Okay. He had about I four or five lines. Okay. He, he, had, he was a charming character. Yeah, he was the drag racer that everybody wanted to race against. Yeah. Well, and then Carrie Fisher, this is Carrie Fisher's third movie. Yeah. She did, um, she was in a TV movie with Debbie Reynolds. Well, that was her, her mom. mom. Yeah. Her mom. And uh, she was in a movie called Shampoo. Oh, yes. And then, uh, yeah, and then Star Wars. And that was, you know, and after that, then I think she went on her bender for a while. <laughs> um, well, no, she did the Star Oh, yeah, that's right. She was, well, that's what we were talking about, Jeff. I mean, it's like, what the hell was she in? I mean, she was in stuff, but I mean, it was just, you know. I mean, she me, she wasn't a strong actress to begin with, and right. she didn't go on to prove herself through this series that she was a strong actress. Right. Um. I mean, you know why? But but it was the same thing for Mark Hamill. He didn't prove really to be a strong actor. He got some, you know, small roles here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, he was you know starred in Corvette Summer, but we know you know where that went off to. Yeah. Um. But I mean, aside but it, from but in his but in his defense, what he has become is a renowned voice actor. Now, okay, yeah, he and in his later career, yeah, I mean, his voice acting has, I mean, that's you know, that's what you know probably got him his you know second and third you know you know multi million dollar home. But you yeah. know, you look at his early stuff; he was doing voice acting before. Yeah, oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Re- yeah. I didn't realize he was doing it that early yeah, on. Yeah, he was. He's. I mean, I was kind of surprised because I thought, well, who the hell is Mark Hamill, and what has he ever done? Well, and, but he, he doesn't have leading man looks like no. <clears throat> like um, uh, Harrison Ford does. Right. Well, and then he got in an auto. Then he got in the accident, and that didn't help. Yeah, he was in. A, he was in an episode of the Partridge Family called Old Scrape Mouth. 
Wow. I'm just saying. Wow. That's, that, that's that what I'm not kidding. Just obscure. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not his name. That's the name of the episode. His name was Jerry. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. Okay. The gimp? <laughs> he was the gimp? He was the gimp? He was the gimp? He's a chimpanzee monkey. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, and, you know, when you look back, the guy who has made a career is Harrison Ford. Oh, clearly. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, he's it. Really, he is the one that walked out of this, becoming an a, who became an A list actor. Um, oh yeah, without oh, a mean, doubt. Um, with, and and I don't know really if that was really ever Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher's goal. I have no idea. I mean, I well, would think I would with guess Carrie, that the two of them wanted to wanted to you know do a lot more professionally. Well, I would have to think that Carrie Fisher. I mean, coming you know obviously. Well, she yeah. was in when Harry met Sally. She was in the Blues, Blues Brothers. Brothers. She kept busy for quite a few years. Yeah, but, but she was but doing. They're, ca- se- they're not even secondary roles. Yeah, I, I mean, mean those yeah. are those are almost. I mean, Blues Brothers was cameos at best. Was she yeah. even credited? Even in the Burbs, I mean, you know, right. she probably had more lines in the Burbs than any other, you know all the other movies put together. Um, you know, one of the things is, okay, so I think George Lucas went into this whole production and he, he said, okay, look, he had this, he had this grand story with, uh, you know, with great visuals. Um, somehow he, he locked down John Williams, who, who really is one of the foundations for this whole movie. That was and because the, of Spielberg. And an entire series, right, an entire series. Um, the, that just okay, real quick. I want to tell a story here, and and this is a story that I've heard from that's been passed down to me through the generations, so to say. Um, you know, George Lucas, of course, he he did the the great um, um, American Graffiti movie, great movie, great coming of age, love the movie, and and he then he had this idea for Star Wars, and uh, you know he, he comes up with it, he you know shoots it, and he shows it. To his college classmates, uh, Steven Spielberg, Coppola, and I want to say John, there was John Milius. John, John, John Milius, who he kind of screens it to. And when they're done, I think the projector went off and they all turned to him and said, what the hell was that? Did you not learn anything in film school about this, this, and this? About story, about, you know, you know, you know acting, you know, directing. I mean, just just went on to say this has got some problems and so he went back and redid some things um and and where where george lucas's strength is is in his is is in the production he does a great job of producing movies and taking what the raw originals and then putting them together in a way because if you watch some of the uh back or some of the behind-the-scenes photography of just kind of them shooting this movie and the actors on stage doing their thing with, with their props, it looks atrocious. The But when George Lucas takes it in and then does the production of it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous movie to watch. Um, well, and to your point, it, there's even, I was reading some things, he... The actors complained they didn't get direction from him. Right. right. Yeah. It's he, it, he he doesn't direct. No, he doesn't direct. And that was again, it, it's not because I mean, you know, he went into this with with the visuals, with the sound, but what he what he went soft on is is the actors. He wanted unknown American actors for the most part that what the hell? 
You all right, dog? Um, he wanted to get. <laughs> of course, it's your dog. Of course, it's my dog. Unknown American actors, which he did, and then he wanted to grab a couple of people that he's known. You know, people that you know, you know, with Cushing and with Guinness. But through it all, I mean, it was. Remember when you guys were talking about uh, Hoosiers and Hackman and. Um, um, oh, who was the other guy? Um, Hopper. We're sitting on the bench going, we're never going to work in this business again. Yeah. Um, you know, this is going to be a shit movie. Well, I mean, a lot of the actors felt that all the way through this movie. They said, you know, the writing is terrible. What is all of this hocus pocus, this weird sci-fi stuff? I mean, everybody was down on it. You know, Guinness was down on it. And it was so bad that James Earl Jones didn't want his name associated with this. And for the longest time, everybody knew that James Earl Jones, he was not credited with the voice of Darth Vader. And, and everybody assumed that it was because George Lucas didn't want to put him in there. <laughs> From what I read, it was James Earl Jones wanted nothing. He did not want any credits because he didn't want people to associate him with this movie. Little do we know that his voice would be iconic in that sense for Darth Vader, um, which is probably one of the more quoted people um, out of this movie. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, it made his career in some respects. Yeah. In some respects, absolutely. But but th- nobody wanted really their names to be associated with this because they all felt this is a feeling you get as an actor that this is going bad, poor, terrible, sour. And, um, and, and what turned that around? It was the magic that's, that, that George Lucas is able to do in that production room when he's putting it all together. Right. And, yeah, and I gotta, we also have to give credit to John Dykstra, who did industri- who created Industrial Light and Magic and right. did the special effects. Well, well, there's a whole machine that was created out of all right. this. And right. you're right. I mean, there's a lot of credit for people that in, in that that designed, um, the, you know, the camera work that went along with this movie because you'd never seen that before because you right. never had a reason to right. to have the 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 way that they had to film this movie and the special effects and the modeling group and Weta and all of that that came out of Star Wars. Again, it changed. It really changed an industry. Well, uh-huh. that's what we we keep saying is that it was revolutionary. I mean, well, all of us we walked in there seeing something that we've never seen before, right? And it's just and like holy cow! It may you know it cost about eleven million to make. It, it's made billions, and on the back end, what did it do at the Oscars? It walked away with the most Academy Awards. Now, granted, it was mostly in the technical area, yeah, but. It had seven Academy Awards and was nominated for ten. Mm-hmm. A sci-fi movie, right? That's unheard of, and and it's unheard of to today, right? I mean, it just isn't the movies. I mean, we all have our issues with it. We all, you know, and we've already talked about them. But I mean, you got to give, you know, I give Lucas credit where credits due. Uh, you know, he re- revolutionized just filmmaking in general with this movie. He completely opened up, or, or like we always said, gave the green light to, sh- to tell people, it's like, you know, if you know what you're doing, you could really do a really good sci-fi movie and make money off of it. And, um, you know, and, well, we're still seeing schlock today, but, you know, whatever. Um, and I think it's just, and I, I'll be curious to see what this new one's going to be like when it comes out. I, And I'm not going to get into it. I don't have my hopes up, 
because of for for numerous reasons which I won't get into but I I am go- going to go into it with a low expectation but cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Well, and I but think I, I think I, we got burned by the by the the second trilogy. A lot of people yeah. have that wait and see attitude. They yeah. want it to be great. We all do. But we lived through the first the prequels. Yeah. And all I have to I'm just going to say this and we're going to move on if I see one fucking lens flare I'm leaving. <laughs> okay, wow. there's a couple of things I want to bring up. Uh, just Hold co- on real quick. There's one other actor I want to mention. I mean, we've talked about all the main actors. There's only one actor who made it through all three movies. Wedge Antilles. Dennis Lawson. Played Red 2. He's the only X-Wing pilot who makes it through all three movies. Oh, I thought you were... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, went, you know, I thought we were referring to... You went, C-3PO and R2-D2. Oh, no, no, no. But, well, uh, you know, but again, those poor guys were stuffed in, you know, in suits. Well, and, and a stab in a can. All right. I just want to, uh, I want to make a couple of quick points, and then we're going to move on to uh, some of the other stuff. But uh, I, I had some notes. It's like in the very beginning scene, uh, after they, they board the, uh, the, the cruiser, and, you know, the stormtroopers have the fight with the uh, Rebel Alliance. And then Darth Vader walks in and he kind of puts his hands on his hips and he's kind of looking down at the ground. And I, I put in there, it says, he's thinking, this stormtrooper armor doesn't do jack shit. <laughs> so you guys know what I'm talking about there. So, <clears throat> and I just want to make w- one other quick note, uh, cause we were talking about him earlier. Uh, the guy that played Porkins, um, Still thinking that was a bad name for, you know, we're trying to be like futuristic sci-fi thing here. It's like different universe, galaxy far, far away. They had Porkins out there. But that guy, his name was William Hootkins. And if you recognize him, he uh, he was in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he was uh, the guy that said that we have top men. On this <gasps> top. I, I did not know that. That's him. That's awesome. Yep, that's top. him. That's top wow. Mm-hmm. Men. That's it. I've got I've got another one for you. All right, real quick. We reviewed a movie he was in. Uh, we, and it's a sci-fi movie. Flash Gordon. Yes, he was. Yep. He was in Flash Gordon. Yep. He was uh the the Hans Zarkov's assistant. Yep. Yep, he was Zarkov's assistant. That I think got ran over by a plane. Munson. <laughs> Munson. <laughs> got to be a toothbrush. <laughs> God, I love that movie. <laughs> God. Come on. That is not the word I use. I like it. I'm sorry. All right. Well, there you go. We have, uh, oh, uh, before we go to Brother Witch Drinking, I just want to, I'm going to zip through these things real quick because I don't have that many. I just wanted to pick some of the really fun ones. Harris, according to Harrison Ford, during the making of the film, he and Mark Hamill would usually fool around and not commit to their work. Whenever Alec Guinness was not on the set, when Guinness was on the set, they behaved much more professionally. Probably because it's like, oh, shit, dad's here. I, I never, I've never heard that trivia before. That's, yep. that's great. Yep. Uh, let's see. Oh, love this. And you know what? Some of this trivia I get with a grain of salt, but considering where they were filming this, I believe this. While George Lucas was filming on location in Tunisia, the Libyan government became worried about a massive military vehicle parked near the Libyan border. Consequently, the Tunisian government received threats of military mobilization and politely asked George Lucas to move his Jawa sand crawler farther (laughs) away from the border. (laughs) (laughs) Only Libyan stormtroopers strike with such 
accuracy. You know, and that's I. That's a whole nother story right there. Obviously, that is the only time Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise when they're shooting Jabba Sandcrawlers, because otherwise they can't hit Jack. I like this one. Due to the limited budget, the American cast members and crew, including George Lucas, all decided to fly coach class to England rather than first class. When Carrie Fisher's mother, Debbie Reynolds, heard about this, she called Lucas, complaining how insulting it was for her daughter to be flying coach. Fisher was in the room with Lucas when he took the call and, after a few minutes, asked if she could talk to her mother. When Lucas handed her the phone, she simply said, Mother, I want to fly coach. Will you fuck off? And hung up. <laughs> De- Debbie Reynolds? <sighs> what kind of girl Debbie did Reynolds she... That way? Yeah. I mean, what kind of girl did she raise? Who does she think she is? Right. Peter that was Eddie Fisher. That was, that's, that's who corrupted her. That must have been it. All right. Yeah. Uh, Peter Cushing found the boots that came with this costume extremely uncomfortable to wear because they were too small for his feet. Uh, thus, he only wore them in the few shots when his feet could be seen. In all the other uh, shots, he wore a pair of fuzzy slippers. <laughs> Sounds like you, Muncie. Yep. Grand, Marf, Grand Moff Muncie. See. The, okay. I, can't it, you just see all this coming? Can't you just see somebody on the side of the screen um, saying, who do I have to screw to get out of this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. At one point in the scripting process, the Force was a large crystal or galactic holy grail called the Kyber Crystal. Uh, this idea was used in the 1978 Star Wars novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye, probably one of my favorite Star Wars books. That's a great book. It's a great little book. All right, last and certainly not least, and I love this one, and I laughed really hard in it. I felt really guilty about it. Kenny Baker has said that. Often, when the cast and crew broke for lunch, they would forget he was in the R2-D2 outfit <laughs> and left it behind. Hey, poor guy. Let me help. Help me. Help I, me. I, I can see this thing shaking back and forth. <laughs> and you hear, me the When I get out of here, you bastards, I'll bite your ankles off. Oh, I, I read that, and I, I mean, I was laughing so hard I was crying, and then I felt bad. <laughs> for about five minutes oh okay i laughed again oh and then i kept laughing i'm laughing again too still so <laughs> all right so that's that's it with notes trivia a whole bunch of stuff so we're going to move on to um brother what you drinking uh so it's that time so we're going to kick it off to uh let's see uh muncie what do you got since you haven't been around for a while i i, I feel like i i have um well, I, uh, tonight, as a as a matter of fact, I'm I don't have anything Star Wars themed, but uh, I'm uh, drinking from the uh, Left Hand Brewing Company. The their their milk stout. Um, it's it. I I enjoy the the sweet stouts along with the oatmeal stouts, and it's um it's it's a it's a good solid beer, um, very malty and um, and has some coffee to it. But it's uh, on the sweet side. Um, talked to several other people who were enjoying this beer, uh, and and I'm I'm glad that these sweeter stouts are coming out. So if you guys, I think you guys have tried them, haven't you? I don't think I've had anything by left hand. I might have, but I it's not ringing a they're, bell. They're very tasty. That's a good one. Yeah, that's very solid, Steve. I think the next time you get a chance, and you're, and I'm starting to see them more um, more on draft around here. So cool. if you get a chance and you see it, definitely pick up one. Will do. Mr. Slover, what do you got? Uh, for a special occasion, I broke out a special bottle of beer. Uh-oh. The 2013 Trader Joe's Vintage Ale. Oh. 
you know, they come out, they just released yep. their 2015, their big bottle. And I'd set this back and I thought, well, Star Wars, it's a good reason to open this thing up. It's aged two years. And if you're a fan of their dark ale, they're kind of a Belgian ale. Um, I'm sure you boys have all had them. The 2013 has aged very nicely. I'm a huge fan of the Trader Joe's Holiday Vintage Ale. And, you know, dark, dark ale with kind of a holiday flavor to it. And it, it perfect. Two years was perfect. And Steve, nine percent. Oh shit. Oh dang. Good lord. Thank you. And it sat for two years. Oh, well that Yeah, those high alcohol content beers will sit nicely. Yeah. Oh, and Very it nice. did. It aged perfectly. Very good. But the 2015's out. I've got one set back. I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to try it to see what it tastes like. They're all a little different, but if you haven't bought the Trader Joe's Vintage Ales, I know you guys have tried them. They're like five bucks. You can't get burned, and they're always a little different every year. Do you age, do you age them cold or? Uh, no, I just age them. I just keep them in a cool spot. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You That's know, like 70 degrees, and I don't even turn them. I just I just set them like in a wine cool, like in a wine rack okay gotcha all right uh let's see my turn i am i'm, I'm kind of going the cheap route tonight uh not too cheap but i picked up uh gosh I, these have been sitting in my cooler for about two weeks now i got a uh some lining kugel vanilla porter oh so, really yep going a little going a little dark vanilla porter uh Sweet or not? Because it's a little, I, it's a little sweet. This way, I steered away from them because they were too sweet at one point. All right, it's a little sweet, not horrible, but um, it, they're not. It's not going to be one of my favorites. Uh, I'll just say that uh, a little bit too much of the, a little too much of the sweetness on this one. Oh. I mean, it's good. Like I said, it's not like it's going to get poured down the sink. So I'll, I'll definitely finish them off, but uh, yeah, a little, little sweeter than usual. So but, uh, that's what I got, and uh, I'm pretty sure that they're. Definitely not going to hit the Godzilla bell, so that's that. All right. And last and certainly not least. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. All right, Ken, we're an hour ten in, so highlight. I will go fast. Just a few highlights. I did stop by Steve's house last Saturday. Watched him uh, and a friend of his trying out a Napoleonic war game. But Steve was kind enough to provide me with a shot of his bottle of Happy Van Winkle. And that stuff is worth what they say about it. Now, just over the past few days, I was down in Louisville, stayed at the Galt House, where the bar, the entire bar is an aquarium. You set your drink down, there's fish swimming underneath it. It's very, very cool. Uh, got back in town, and so far today I've been to the Broad Ripple Brew Pub, where I had their uh, Hot for Teacher Blonde Ale. And then I went to, I was meeting a friend, supposed to be meeting him down at uh, the Ball and Biscuit, but it was closed for a private party, so we went down to McNiven's. Now, I've, I've mentioned that place before. It's sort of an ethnic restaurant, <laughs> and bar. We have these delicious kind of eggs. They're, you know, these eggs they've made at the bar. 
And I was drinking pretty much as much as I could today, some variant of Crown and Diet or Bourbon and Diet or something. And then I went to a open house at a mansion that an architectural firm has a, a Christmas open house in. Quickly jumped down to the Stutz building where my grandmother used to work when they built classic cars. And now I'm home uh, drinking close to the last of my uh, vanilla bourbon and Diet Coke. Very nice. Is that the uh, the Four Roses vanilla? Yeah, it's the Four Roses vanilla bourbon. I got maybe one drink left out of it. Uh, got a little bit left in the bottle, but it's pretty much been... I mean, I've got another batch brewing, basically, sitting there, you know, but I haven't uh, poured it out and put it in the bottle yet, so... But I still got some. Got it. And, uh, no, it's, I've had a busy week, and it's uh, shaping up to be a busy holiday season. Got a lot coming up. Going to be fun. All right, well, there you go, folks. That is it with uh, Brother What You're Drinking and Catching Up with Ken. So we're going to move on to clips. Clips are our favorite part of the show. Gosh, I got a bunch here, obviously. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? All right, uh, number one. Where are those transmissions you intercepted? What have you done with those plans? We intercepted no transmissions. Uh, uh, this is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. If this is a consular ship, where is the ambassador? And according to the trivia, the sound of his neck breaking or somebody cracking walnuts. So... You know, did, did did nobody have like a flash drive or something that they could have, you know, just kind of smuggled onto the ship instead of, you know, transmitting it to it? You know, you don't, you don't, you just don't get it, do you, Scott? You just <laughs> laser beams. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff like that when you think about it. It's like, you know, if they only just had the internet back then, they could have just emailed it. And <laughs> 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 it. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the future, it's, 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 it's pretty much going back in technology. Right? Yeah. It's like, I got light speed, but I can't email this damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. Number two. I've just about had enough of you. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day. You miss that. It's scrap pile. And don't let me catch you following me, begging for help because you won't get it. You know, 3PO really was kind of a dick. You know, that married couple there was <laughs> quite like adorable. And Steve. <laughs> it sort of does sound like yeah. Steve and I. Yes. <clears throat> All right, guys, I just want to say I threw this one in there because I, I it reminded me uh, of Star Wars. There was one time when I was over at Jeff's house uh, several years back, and uh, I recorded this. It's me and the dog talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Um, let's see. <laughs> Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He has too much of his father in him. That's what I'm afraid of. Ah, oh, there we go. All right, let's see. I've got this one. Uh, hold on. I'm not sure what this is. <laughs> Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. Well, I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Oh, look at Owen. Why can't I go? Oh. This is the guy that defeated the Empire? you got to be kidding me. But then again, the Stormtroopers can't shoot shit anyway. 
Well, he grew into his role, okay? He yeah, he did. All right, guys, we talked uh, very briefly, actually, about uh, John Williams. And, you know, obviously, probably one of the most iconic scores he's ever done. And one thing that struck me, and it, it really wasn't until watching the, or, you know, watching this again for the podcast, uh, John Williams, correct me if I'm wrong, but he also scored Plan of the Apes, right? Mm, I'm, 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 look that up. I'm, I'm pretty so, sure. I mean, I know he did a bunch of Spielberg so. movies. Like, um, I, I'm pretty sure he did. Close Encounters. Well, no. you know, while you're on that, I mean, let's face it, this is probably the greatest soundtrack ever produced. Well, it is. And uh, I'm going to bring this up, and I have to I have to check it. I know I'm, I'm cutting into my time here. Where in the hell is my damn? Oh, here we go. No, it was Jerry Goldsmith. Was it Jerry Goldsmith? Yeah. Was it? Okay. All right. But here's the thing. And this, it, it, it jumped out at me because there is, there are some, there's parts of this and I don't, I don't remember. It was evidently it was on tattooing, but listen to this, your real quick sound clip. It's music and tell me it does not sound like something from Planet of the Apes. Hold on. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, the same people Bantha scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would not be surprised and think it would be very appropriate for it to be sort of an homage <laughs> from Spielberg to that. Because that was, what, 68? Yeah. I, I thought it sounded like Jeff's bathroom from last weekend. but <laughs> No, that was, a, that was the sound of the sand people. When they're... Yeah. Wow. All right. Let's see. Here we go. I got this one. It's called Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. I think my uncle knows him. He said he was dead. Oh, he's not dead. Not yet. We know him. Well, of course I know him. He's me. So, okay. So while I was watching this movie, uh, um, and we were talking, we were just talking about John Williams and, and his incredible, God, incredible talent. Can you guys think of any other movies where there is a score from the beginning of the movie all the way through the entirety of the movie till the end? Because you mean that just flows and tells the story the way it there's does? just well, it, there's no there. The music never stops. Right. You know, a lot of movies just they have they have music that accompany, you know, certain scenes, you know, even when you have dialogue. There is there is something a, a single note sometimes being held in the background. You have music from the beginning of the movie straight through to the end. It never lets up. No, you're right. right. And and the thing of it is is that this is you know it is it's very iconic type music and and I still remember actually after this came out there was a uh, a two well. Back when they had, well, they still have it now. It's coming back vinyl. I had the, the, the double the two, vinyl. Yep, the double album. The bit with the, it's all blacks. It's yep. Star Wars. You open up and there's Vader. Yep. And it's yeah. Yep. And I think I still have that somewhere in my mom's house. I think I played the grooves off that album. Yeah, it's wow. it's incredible. So all right, uh, and this is uh, this is the joke we make about stormtroopers. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. 
Well, those Imperial Stormtroopers were precise. Well, you know, their track record against um, beings that are, you know, you know, you know, two and a half feet tall is really one and one, I guess. Yeah. You know, they, uh, they had the win against the Jawas, but when they came up against Ewoks, um, well, they got, they, got a, they got a loss in the column. So right. which one are you, Jeff? Uh, well, clearly, um, furry, short, and clearly an Ewok. I mean, I surely can take on the Emperor's greatest, you know, greatest <laughs> units, it's his top legion, and take him out with sticks and stones. Yep. I'm sorry. We're yeah, not but, doing but that we, movie. We, we're not My talking bad. about that movie and that movie. That was round four. I'm sorry. <laughs> Terribly sorry. Yeah. I many, they, that's that's when the entire series went off the rails. Yep. In my humble opinion. And has stayed off. We'll see if it gets back on the rails with this. I vowed this evening I would not do anything outside of the scope of our current movie. And I'll shut up. All right. Uh, And this is just a little sidebar. This is why we can't really go out with Jeff anywhere. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. So anyway, (laughs) <laughs> Why would just say excuse? And every now and then, when I come down the stairs, <laughs> bark that at me. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I got a couple more. Perhaps she would respond to an alternative form of persuasion. What do you mean? I think it is time you demonstrated the full power of this station. Set your course for Alderaan. With- that was Peter Cushing. So. And. All right. Uh, next. I'm not going anywhere. They're going to execute her. Look, a few minutes ago you said you didn't want to just wait here to be captured. Now all you want to do is stay? Marching into the detention area is not what I had in mind. But they're going to kill her. Better her than me. See, now that's some good writing there. Marching. (laughs) Sounds like like what I say every Sunday night (laughs) before I have to go to work. Son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, I don't... I don't know. If, I, I I assume. Are we, are we going to get to you know favorite scenes and things like that? Or oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, we're going to have to we're going to have to cut something because we're already an hour twenty into this. So uh, uh, no, this is a special edition. <laughs> yeah, right. it's all right. Last edition. one. Extended di- edition. Yeah, extended edition. All right. Last one. Could be worse. It's worse. <laughs> You know, like Jeff's toilet last weekend. <laughs> 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 that's, 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 what, that's what Sarah said. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's what was swirling down in there. I knew I saw something move. It worked. Something moved past my leg. <laughs> it's a good thing it didn't pull you down. <laughs> God. Um. You know that 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 scene there. Um, you know, I'm I'm still trying to figure out, you know, why somebody didn't take the high ground there and just shoot the shit out of them while they're down there in the toilet. Oh wait, somebody decided to smash them. Well, that was uh, the part- my favorite is Chewie yeah. beating Who's, on the yeah. door. <laughs> just, <laughs> just get me yeah. out of here. Well, that was just it. You know, it's like you know, Han makes a comment. You know, it's not going to take him long to find out where we were. You've been down there for like 15 minutes <laughs> they, they got to be the dumbest stormtroopers they can't shoot for shit and they're like i wonder where they went well let's see there's only one way out of here you know oh, when God. they go to that detention center I, i'm just gonna jump ahead um it's probably one of my favorite scenes and it just goes to show you some of the just dumb dialogue but when he says um uh, we're fine here um large reactively trying to lock it down okay that's, that's part of the trivia 
That's part of the trivia. Is it? There was there was nothing scripted for that. Lucas said, "We're just going to pipe." You know, basically was you'll hear somebody asking you questions. Just come up with something. So you may you see that one part where he actually kind of says, "How you know, we're fine here? How are you?" And he kind of cringes. He was like, yes. "God, is that bad or not?" You know, it's like because he's just having to make it up as he goes. Lucas, but it works. It but does. the best part is it's iconic. Yeah. It's a large reactor leak trying to lock it down yeah. here. <laughs> Largely. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. <laughs> and, you know, and here's a real quick sidebar. And this was part of the trivia. And, Mark, we've talked about this before. You know, the, the guns that they used were basically modified Sten guns. Right. And so when they are fired. And MG-42s for the, for the heavy weapons. Yeah. And they actually, because I've seen stuff where they were, when they would show the firefight scenes, I mean, they're shooting blanks. Mm-hmm. And Oh, yeah. yeah. The behind-the-scenes footage of just things like popping off yeah. and, and the lightsaber scenes, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty painful. Yes. Oh. Well, there was actually, it was kind of interesting because I've got, and again, I've got the, the one where Han and Greedo shoot at the same time. So a lot of the sound is very amplified. But the scene when Han says, boring conversation anyway, and he shoots, Mm -hmm. if you listen, you can hear the casing come out and hit and rattle on the floor. Do you hear it too, Mark? Yeah. Because you hear this ching, ching, ching. ching. Yeah, you hear hear, it like ching, and he's like, look, we got company. But before he says that, you hear that casing bouncing on on the grate, which I think is hysterical. Which also, sidebar, love Hans Blaster, broom-handled Mauser. Oh, of course, yes. Well, I'll, I'll, I gotta throw in my comment that actually got me, it inspired me to, a conversation I had inspired me to pick up the old Traveler role-playing game back in the day, which was, you know, I was sitting with some guys and there's some guys that were like rolling up characters for this role-playing game. And I just made a comment, like, this was, like, that winter. They're like, you know, at the opening scene, when, you know, the stormtroopers are burning through that door and all the rebels are lined up with their pistols and all, if they just had a Browning fifty caliber machine gun, <laughs> would this movie have just been over? <laughs> I mean, you have to say. I mean, when, I mean, you know, the 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 term stormtroopers really um, oh. came into shape when they when they when they came on that little Corvette. Um, I mean, you know, by all rights, I mean the stormtroopers should have been the the menacing presence that they were. I mean, that was just a really cool way. I mean, you're when you're watching that, and you're just like, you know, they're you know you know cutting through that door, and you got sparks oh, yeah. flying everywhere. I mean, it was just. I mean, it was an intense scene, and you know, it explodes in, you know, and they just, you know, it. I mean, they just lay waste to everything. And then they go to a taken out by a bunch of fucking little Ewoks. Um, or Ewoks, pardon me. I thought Ewoks you were going to do that. Sorry, I I'm sorry. I, I, there's just something sorry. takes sorry. me there to a dark place. I'm sorry. Um, go on, Steve. <laughs> All right, uh, where were we? Because I had to I, uh, I had to grab a beer. I don't know. You're in charge. You're the grand moth of this podcast. <laughs> the grand moth Tarkin? Yes. Nice. Like it. Michael's. I like that part. Grand they all, they all, they all died Full eventually. So. All right. Uh, all right. Well, that's it with uh, favorite scenes and uh, all that other fun stuff. Oh, we didn't have favorite scenes. We well, didn't what talk the hell about were we just favorite. talking about? Well, I just, I, just, I just alluded to one. Oh, okay. Oh, you wanted to say, oh, well, let's do favorite scenes now. That's great. Yeah. Mark, or Ken, what's your favorite scene in this movie? 
I'd have to say the very opening scene, more the you know, the, because again, when I was at the the Eastwood Theater, since I was like the last guy in the theater, I was sitting in the front row, far right hand side, looking up at that massive screen, and it's like. I'm seeing these ships just going like over me, just on and on and on, and the lasers blasting and everything. It just grabbed your attention, and you know, and you know, it had never really been done. I mean, there was no opening credits. There was just that little scroll about there's a war going on in the galaxy far, far away, and then bam, and it sucked you in. I got a second, Ken. Well, that's probably the most memorable, but I, I think for me. I really kind of like the whole um, dog. Not, well, is it dog fight scene? You know, when when the Millennium Falcon is escaping, yeah, and the Tie Fighters. That, that I just love that. There was something, and, and I mean, and again, it's the music. It's just the whole idea of uh, it almost reminded me of uh, the 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 gunners on a, on a, on a ship during World War II. You yeah. know, where they're just you know trying to track and shoot. I mean, I just thought that was really cool. So those are my those are my two favorites. All right. Yeah. I I have two. They're bridge scenes, but I really there there's just something evocative about them. Um, the first is, and I threw it up on our Facebook page. It and it's because of the music, and there's no dialogue, and it's and it's a pullback scene. It's the scene of Luke when he walks out, and yeah. the twin suns are setting, and the music just rises. It, it is so evocative. It, it and it sets the tone. We you know of. Here's a guy who's trying to figure out what do you, where's his life going? And, and something may be happening for him. So that's one. And then the other that just sends chills down my spine is when the X wings and Y wings are preparing, are flying towards yes. the Death Star. Yep. And the X wings deploy their wings. And, and that whole scene where, you know, they're coming around the moon and they're heading into the Death Star. And the music starts to swell. It's just like, wow, something, something, this is going to be epic. And, and I got to give, you know, I really give Lucas credit for those kinds of things because they, they, they set, they set you up for the next, the, the next part of the movie. And for some reason, they're just very evocative to me. I, you know what? I forgot about that one, Mark, but that's actually a really good. You know what I'm talking about yep. when they fly towards the Death oh, Star? Oh, There's yeah. something about And then they break and attack. Yep, that's it's awesome. It's just cool as shit. It's almost kind of like a cavalry charge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Jeff? Well, thanks, Mark. Yeah, you took mine. Um, <laughs> it is the buildup to the, the attack on the Death Star. Um, you know, and the attack on the Death Star scene is as as silly as some of the dialogue is. I mean it, it it is done really, really well. One of my one of my small favorite scenes definitely has to be, you know, after uh you know when when we're introduced to Han Solo um in the Cantina and up through um when they come out of the hyperspace and um you know the short range fighter, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, shoots a shot across the bow and you know, Han's going to take him on, and um, then they start to, you know, get close to that, uh, you know, small moon. Um, <laughs> you know, the 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 dial. You know, just 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 the exchange back and forth between Guinness and um, and Han there is is really it, it, it's a nice scene where um, 
Um, you, you get a you get a little bit of character development there, especially because we're trying to figure out who this whole Han Solo character is. But you know the the way that um, you know Guinness says um, that's no moon, that's a space station. Um, you know it, it's it's just it's it's one of those classic lines in in the movie. Um, but you you know you have a very good shot of the four of them just just standing there or sitting there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a very well lit scene and it, and it highlights all four of the characters and, and it's just, a, it's just a nice scene, but definitely my, my favorite is, you know, from the time they blast off from Yavin 4 to, um, the, the attack run. That said, if I can say this, even though we're not supposed to, I am a purist. I do like the originals, but I do like the addition of the modified department that they do in the special editions from Yavin 4 where you see the X-Wing slowly lift off instead yes. of, you know, like like three lights just in, you know, in sequence just shooting out into space or something. Um, I do like that addition. Uh, I think it does enhance it and just makes that a, a better scene um, as opposed to just, like I said, three lights in formation just shooting off out of Yavin 4. But, but anyway... That's it. That that is cool. You're right. Where they all kind of do that V stall vertical lift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it's it's I th- I mean there's a lot of criticism he gets for going back and reworking things. And again, I'm 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 a purist, but that addition there and I'm not I don't refer to anything else, you know, as far as what he changed and modified, but that one there where you yeah, you see them Doing their liftoff and their slow turns, and you know that they're they're angling towards you know leaving atmosphere. I mean, it's I I just think it's really well done. Very nice. All right, well, there's our favorite scenes, and uh, got well. Let's move on to the uh, top ten movies of 1977. Seven. I almost said seventy eight, but I know it's seventy two. Yeah, for some reason I thought that. All right, the top ten movies of 1977, Mr. Roney. Are you ready? Uh, I am ready to begin. Uh, number 10, Annie Hall. Woody Allen's Diane Keaton. I think we're doing that one next week, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, no, I think we're doing Uncle Buck next week and then right after that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah. we need to do Uncle Buck. We should. We it's a holiday movie. Uncle Buck's a holiday movie. It is. Uh, num- There's a quarter. You go downtown and have a rat and chew that off your face. <laughs> Bug? Nap? <laughs> uh, number nine. A Roger Moore Bond movie. Oh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, I've watched a lot of James Bond lately. That they've uh, they've been having uh, a marathons on one of the channels, like AMC or somebody. No, it's 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 a, it's an obscure channel. Um, just all last week during Thanksgiving break, I was it was it was a ton of James Bond. Um, I mean, and a, lot, a lot of the classics. That's not a classic. No, no, I'm just saying the classics. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, with Russia, you know, from Russia with love. Okay, Doctor No, those kinds. Yes, yes. You know the Connery ones. Yep. Continue, Ken. Uh, number eight. I'm interested to see what you guys think of this movie because I, I kind of liked it. Vanilla vodka, Diet Coke. Go ahead. <laughs> the Deep. <laughs> 
There's there's only one reason to watch uh, the game. Yeah, thank you. No, there's two, two reasons. There's two reasons. Game. Don't put your eyes out. <laughs> that no, that was the first reason. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I love that scene where they they were fighting with the outboard motor. Yeah. Uh, okay, move on. <laughs> Number seven, a movie that. Uh, <clears throat> I think we all would agree is a man cave movie, one that we've all seen, one that we've all liked, although it's got its own little pitfalls here and there. A Bridge Too Far. Oh, yeah. We We, reviewed it. We reviewed it that way back in the day. Yep. Yep. I saw it. I can remember that thing came out in the middle of the summer because I can remember I walked into that theater up on... uh, Keystone around like 70 or like 80th or whatever at Keystone. Yeah. And I was like blind. I was like, I walked in like a couple minutes late. Ever all the lights were off. I was stumbling around and also bam, that screen lit up and I was able to find a seat. Popular movie. Great like, movie. Like the scene in uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Your Christmas Vacation. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, number six. It, it did well, obviously. One of John Denver's bigger roles. Oh, God. Not a bad movie. It, I, oh. I barely remember it. I remember seeing it, but... I like John Denver. It, it, it's, well, and who was it that played God? Uh, the, 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 the George, George Burns. Burns. Yeah. Yes. Not, not classic, a bad... Classical comedy actor. Yep. Number five, in addition to... We talked about how America was in the grips of a miasma of dark sci-fi movies, dark futures, you know, post-apocalyptic. We have to realize that at the same time, America was in another sort of apocalyptic phase called Disco Fever. (laughs) And this is... Number five is Saturday Night... Fever. Uh, oh, wow. I thought it would have been higher. Yeah. I'm surprised it's only number five. Mm-hmm. That was a big movie. Yeah. It had a, lot, had a lot of impact culturally, yes. A lot of women went and saw it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, number four. The Goodbye Girl. What? It's not. It's a, it's a chick flick. It's the uh, what? Richard Dreyfus, Marsha Mason... Yep, it's a on. romance. Enough. What? Didn't you say a couple years back he was still working at that? I haven't seen it. I've been there. I was there about uh, six months ago, and I didn't see him. I think he's. I think he's moved on. But Hoopa was working at what was it? Hoopa. He was a bartender. Well, he's one of the bartenders and waiters. Yeah. Which restaurant was it? Uh, uh, Rock Bottom. Yeah. Rock Bottom. That's right. Hoopa. He didn't look like Hoopa. Yeah, it was always embarrassing at Christmas when we get together, Steve, after his second beer. Hoopa! That's... <laughs> okay. Man, that, guy, that guy over there looks just like Richard Dreyfuss and Jaws. It, it does. Hoopa! I just made the comment, and then you guys started it off. I blame you. <laughs> This is the extended version, so Ken, continue. Get us back on track. <laughs> and number three, I, I got to quickly set this up. 
This movie was very popular, obviously. It was number three. It came in at the end of the year, Christmas season, holiday blockbusters. And we kept hearing, my brother and I were like, we want to go see this movie, but we keep hearing these stories about how it's sold out and how big crowds are lined out the door. And then I opened up, I, I, I was listening to the radio, and they said, the weather system is such that we're expecting a blizzard to hit town tonight. So I look at my brothers and like, if it's a blizzard, nobody will be at the movie. So we jumped into the brown gremlin and drove out to the Shadelin Theater to watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Great movie. That's got hoop on it, too. <laughs> and he's got his mashed potato mountain. No, wait a minute. Oh, yes, is, it is. It is. I'm sorry, it is. It is. <laughs> That's one of those I will stop on every time. Oh, it's yep. Team. That well, it's got Fort Wayne, Indiana, in it. Hell yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's it, not well, Fort, it, it it's starts not Fort off at Indianapolis it? Airport. Right. We that is a man cave movie. Actually, we should get that on there because I remember seeing that in the theater as a kid. That that's an amazing movie. It is. We'll we'll get it on. We'll get it on there. That's a great one, Ken. Good All right. call. Well, I, I got to say, when when it ended, we, we we got to the theater and the theater was empty. We watched, you know, like you know, like seven people in it. So as actually, we took my sister too, my little sister. I don't know how old she was then. We watched the movie, and when we walked in, it was warm and raining. When we walked out, it was a howling blizzard, and that was the blizzard of '77 that hit Indy. Yep. And shut oh. the city down for like four days. I remember that. Yeah. We barely got home. But, you know, we were idiots and kids and like we didn't care about this stuff. Uh, number two, another movie is this movie was massive. And there's a whole bunch of follow up movies that actually pretty much resuscitated the lead actor, uh, his career. And that movie is Smokey and the Bandit. That is a man cave movie, brother. What? Well, just, just, just to play <laughs> clips of Jackie oh Gleason, yeah. I, T. Justice. Oh, I, my I, gosh. I, I agree. I it see. is a fun man cave movie. It has been... Yeah, I mean, I, be honest with you, it's oh, just... It's got I, a basset hound in it. What more do you need? I love Jerry Reed. <laughs> Just right, with you the Bassett Hound, Buford. Yeah, you know what you need with a Bassett Hound? A freaking shovel and a big hole to bury all the... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> all right, so is that it, Cam? Are you, is no, that there's a number, oh, number two. Okay. All right. We, we know what that is. Star Wars. Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Star Wars crushed the competition with $307 million in domestic gross... Where Smokey and the Bandit did 126. Wow. That's some real... So more than double. That's a real coin back then, too. Yeah. You also had, like, All the President's Men was out that year. Uh, and what else? Uh, the Rescuers. The what? Is a cartoon. Julia. Uh, okay. Onward. Onward. All right. Let's see. Uh, it is... Uh, well, there you go, folks. That's it with the top ten movies. Of 1977. So we're going to move on to um, the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Well, crap. Where's my list? Lost my list. All right, got my list back. All right, let's see. Did anyone jump out of a window? 
No, but they wanted somebody to eject in the space. Well, there's that. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, there's no windows. No, there are no there windows are in space. No windows. All right, let's see. Uh, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there an irrelevant female role in this movie? Well, considering there's only two, and one was a uh, charred skeleton <laughs> about 20 minutes <laughs> in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I'm just saying. Well, nope, we know uh, what happened in Troops. Why? That was a domestic dispute. <laughs> you know, and, and, domestic and, and, disputes are always the worst. Yeah. And stormtroopers hate to go to domestic yeah. disputes. I would say there are no irrelevant female roles or Liv Tyler roles in this movie. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess C-3PO could be the irrelevant. Oh, all right. <clears throat> you went there, didn't you? I did. You went oh. there. All right. Uh, speaking of which... Son of a bitch must pay. Was there a son of a bitch in this movie, and did he pay? Well, Grand Moff Tarkin got it bad at the end. Yeah, pretty much a good chunk of the Imperial uh, fleet, uh, or at least the Stormtrooper contingent, died. Evacuate? <laughs> in our moment of triumph? Yeah. You know, Rito was something of a uh, son of a bitch. He yeah, paid. This is, he paid. This is true. This is true. The Jawas were low-rent sons of bitches. <laughs> they paid. <laughs> What? Wow. Oh boy! What? I better. We you better. Said, we better. You said low rent. <laughs> My God! <laughs> what? Yeah, we what? see. We see what you did there. Let's just pull out what? trailer park trash. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm, I, all right. We've got to close this out because it's getting out of control here. It's going to get out of control, and we'll be lucky <laughs> if we live through it. <laughs> all right. Bitches. Next. <laughs> Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? Yes. Yes. There's yes. always a Wilhelm scream in all these movies. Damn it. Uh, Ken, go ahead. Well, go ahead. It's the scene where they, there's like stormtroopers. Princess Leia and Luke are on one side of that gigantic shaft thing. The stormtroopers are shooting down at him, and Luke shoots up. And when the stormtrooper pitches off into the depths, it's like, and, and here it is. Classic. Classic. Oh my Will Helmsbury. As a matter of fact, I think this uh, this particular uh, movie resurrected the Wilhelm screen for future shows. So. Well, you know, Steve, when when oh man, I need to go back and watch that. Remember when you sent out the the fifty greatest or the fifty Wilhelm yeah. screams or something like that? <laughs> and I didn't realize until I watched that. I mean, like every episode of a Star Wars has one of those in it. There was it's a, like a checklist they go through. Yeah. Did, we get a, did somebody fall? And did, get, did we get a Wilhelm scream in it? Yes. Well, the the best one is there's a Wilhelm scream in the Star Wars Christmas special. That's right. When, when, when Chewbacca it, pitches the one stormtrooper over the tree, it goes. Yeah, when, that when B. Arthur comes on stage, everybody get, does a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> so, all right, moving on. I, sorry. And yes, you can watch a Star Wars Christmas special on YouTube. But you don't want to. But right. you don't want to. All right, next. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? Raped over the Millennium Falcon? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, Tawny in her prime, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. We're good. Uh, I guess it's, it's as plausible as everything else in the movie. Why not? Absolutely. Yes. 
All right, next. Was there a montage in this movie? No. 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 Nothing. All right. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? Have I? Um, no. Really? I'm kind of surprised a little bit. I was a little bit too. But then I thought, well, because um, I looked high and low. And I thought, well, that that probably would have been a big deal to have got you know somebody from Star Wars in Babylon Five. I will I will make one comment um, as I'm looking at the poster, the the B five uh, Ultimate Game poster that Mark got me for uh, Christmas, birthday, something like that. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the uh, uh, Earth Alliance fighters. Yeah, bear striking resemblance to X wings. X wings. Well, especially the Thunderbolts. Yeah. So. But the but the way that they use them in combat is completely far different. better. Well, yeah, completely well, different because they actually more realistic. Yeah, because they actually yep. follow the whole physics thing. Well, yeah, yeah um, that's physics in space. What? Uh, what? What? Well, I've got to throw out there that maybe not the character, but as we alluded to earlier, Babylon Five wouldn't have been made if not for Star Wars unlocking Correct. the whole idea of sci-fi being viable. Right. Right. Well, I mean, right. we, oh, we've yeah. said that about all of these. So, but <sighs> you know, J. Michael Straczynski was able to do more in his. In, in, you know, he had a, a more cohesive story than um, Lucas ever did in six films. Amen, right. brother. Yep, you are correct. All right, well, guys, the, that's it with the uh, the checklist. Let us move on to the man cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. And uh, let's see who who's who's got it. Jeff. Ken. Jeff? I beat Ken to it. Sorry, Ken. No, I said Jeff. You weren't here last week, so you got to do you it. You weren't here last week, so you need to do it. <laughs> then it's Mark. Somebody do it, and I'm going to start playing music like um, they do in the Academy. All right, I'll do it. I'll okay, do it. Mark, Mark, take it away. We all must agree. We love this movie. It, it transformed. Uh, it, it hit our generation, and it has continued forward. You can take the clunky dialogue, and you can set it aside. The imagery... The music, the vision, and I'm just talking about Star Wars, what we saw in 1977 or what we saw just as that movie. It, it fundamentally transformed, and it took you truly to a, a galaxy far, far away. It, and to this day, it, it, it is a cultural piece of the, of the world. I mean, it, is, it has transformed things. It is a 10. You, you 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 can't deny it. You can say, okay, the acting and the dialogue was a bit clunky, but you you overlooked it for what this movie did. And it, to this day, it's still magical. I, I would love to see the original unfiltered, re-released, and someday it will be, on DVD, and then go see it in the theater again with my son, as it was originally shown to me in 1977, because it is an astounding piece of, of film, and it it's truly mythic. I mean, it 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 created a mythos, and it created an offshoot of an industry. Jeff and I were talking earlier about two different games that we both own. He owns Armada, and I'm a, I own the 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 skirmish role playing game, both by Fantasy Flight. I how how what. 
how few movies do that. It, it, it is truly impressive um, for what Star Wars, the first movie, did. So I say, unequivocally, it's a 10. It, it's an amazing piece of film. Jeff? I I I do. I I have yeah, I mean Mark is right as far as as far as as, as far as everything that he has said. I mean the the these these the yes, he's right. It it is a 10. Um if you if you consider everything Mark did, if you consider it as a movie and and the individual parts to it, um it, it, it's it's lacking in some areas, especially the acting and directing. But for everything Marcus said, you know, it has. I mean, it 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 is it is a it is a classic in its own right. Um, being so new, um, but the the parts those those parts, like Mark said, are completely overshadowed because of what the the many things that are done right in this movie. And, uh, and and you do have to give George Lucas a lot of credit for the production of it, along with um, um, the, the 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 genius score of John Williams, um, and and it it, it is it, it is one that um, it has been enjoyed by it, it'll be it's been enjoyed by generations. It'll continue to be enjoyed by generations. So it is a ten. Very good, Ken. You got a rating? At the time it came out, I would have given it a ten. There's a part of me that says, now having seen what the story was supposed to be and what the long, you know, the, the whole story arc and everything else, I'm tempted to reduce my rating. But we're rating it as it was, as it was in 77 when it came out. So I'm going to give it a 10. Very good. I, mean, I didn't go see it seven times in the theater because I thought it was a suck-ass movie. <laughs> <laughs> you you just couldn't put your finger on it. You had to go back ten times. Oh, there nice. was something not right, and you couldn't figure it out. Well, there you go. Uh, guys, I'm just going to pretty much uh, not belabor the point any further because you said everything I would have said. Uh, it's a ten. It's unanimous. It It was a revolutionary movie. Changed everything in terms of what we see in sci-fi. Uh, what we saw in sci-fi then, what we see in sci-fi now. And it continues to, I think, inspire. And, um, well, I know it inspires, but it, I, I think in a lot of respects, a lot of uh, guys fail in trying to um, maintain the same kind of uh, feel, if you will. But, uh, but this one's a 10, uh, without a doubt. So, well, there you go. That's it with the Man Cave movie review of this great fantastic film. And uh, I just want to say we've, uh, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year, and I think we're going to have another show, obviously before the end of 2015. So there's at least going to be one more because obviously we got the holidays coming up and everything. So uh, we're going to have one more for you, uh, you folks. But uh, until then, this is episode 170, and I am your host, Steve Michaels. Signing up. Well, shit. I, I'm screwing up already. I'm not even drunk. I've only, huh. had, I've only had one flipping beer. Huh. All right. Wow. Go figure that. So, so this is just raw talent. Okay. This is raw <laughs> talent. Three years still can't get this shit right. Unfiltered. Is it? <laughs> it is unfiltered. <laughs> Tastes great, too. And it's less filling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, 
golf so that's, clap. All right, so thank Hold you. On, Steve, go chug two beers right now <laughs> yeah, so I you should. can get into form. Go no. break out the Sobieski vodka and just for 30 seconds yeah. slam it back. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, okay, that's it with Man Cave Move Review, episode 170. Check us out on our website at mancavemovereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Move Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. You can listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And on Facebook, look for us there. And I probably already said that part. But anyway, I'm saying it again. And follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until the next show, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Slover. Jeff Muncy. I should have expected to find you holding Steve Michael's leash. <laughs> 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 oh boy, nice. <laughs> oh, and also saying farewell and Avita Zan is our other very good dear friend, Ken. I got a bad feeling about this. Roni. Alderan had it coming. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <sighs> okay. Oh. See, I shouldn't have been drinking then. I should have known well, better. No. <laughs> All right. All right. And last and certainly not least, saying farewell, adieu, and avita zayan is our other good and dear friend, Jeff. <laughs> Muncie. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Hey, you know, Alec Guinness uttered that famous line, you know, if you strike me down, Vader, I'll be more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to err on the side of caution here that Vader probably could have came up with something better than a disembodied voice that was guiding Luke around the galaxy, right? Such as? Like, I don't know, something far more powerful than a disembodied voice guiding Luke around the galaxy? Like, something far more than that? Like, reach like, out with your feelings, is that like, what you're saying? Yeah, I'm I'm just saying, I, like, I, I, I guess he could have, you know, imagined something more powerful than that. Like something with the sharks with laser beams or something? Anything? Bueller? Well, anybody there? We got the little Yoda guy showed up. I mean. Wow. Okay. All right. That's all you got. That's it. We, we, we waited for that. I, I mean, it was quite obvious, wasn't it? I mean, damn, that was. God. That sucked. I, I'm sorry. I, you know. <laughs> I, I have a weak audience here tonight. A weak audience, no, no, I say. No, no, no. You have weak delivery. <laughs> that, that was delivered very well, don't you think? Come on. Come Take on. Muncie, somebody has something to say to you. <laughs> you have failed me for the last time. <laughs> See, I can't. Bravo. I mean... I mean, you know, I, I mean, what's far from the laugh? What's so intimidating? The, you know, a disembodied voice telling Luke go to Dagobah. I mean, really, is that it? Is that is that powerful? Come on! All right, folks. Well, there you go. That was it with episode one seventy. Uh, Jeff has yet failed us once again, oh, not man. for the last time, uh, but he has. So we hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back for another one before the end of this year. So until then, ciao.